Good morning, and if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, let's just ask God's blessing on those words before we look at them together. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, and we pray that you will help us see the relevance that it is to us today. And our Father, we just lean upon you now as you lead us through these verses, and we pray that it will be to our blessing and to your glory, for we ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have here in our Bibles copies of 13 of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. And Paul had been instrumental in some of these churches being established, and all of these churches had been founded on the gospel. The gospel that Paul believed in, the gospel that Paul lived by, that he taught and preached to all who would listen. Now the word gospel means good news. So what was this good news that had changed Paul from being an opponent of the gospel to becoming a proclaimer of the gospel? In the words of Paul, in the first of his two letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said this. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1 through to 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So the first thing we see here is that whatever else the gospel is, it has a strong foundation. Then Paul goes on in verse 2, By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. You see, the gospel, when believed, will bring salvation. And if it didn't bring salvation, then it would be of no use to anyone. So verse 3 and 4 of that letter to the Corinthians, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, 
I didn't make this up. But what he's saying is, but I did receive it. And the first thing of importance about it is that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, all according to the things that God has said in his word, the scriptures. Now, these three truths, Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again. These three truths cannot be separated or added to in order for sins to be given. Verse 5 and 6 of the letter to the Corinthians, And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus was a real thing. It was witnessed by many people. And so Paul goes on in verse 7 and 8. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. See, among the many who saw the resurrection of Jesus were those who had been given a personal commission from the lips of Jesus. As well as those other people, there were James, who was the brother of Jesus, but also the apostles. Now, Paul is numbered among the apostles because he had received his commission from the lips of Jesus, from the lips of the resurrected Jesus. And he tells us that he was not one who was called during the earthly ministry of Jesus. And this is why he distinguishes himself himself from the other apostles, as he refers to himself as being one who was born abnormally. Now, he doesn't mean it was an abnormal birth. He means an untimely birth. He wasn't there when Jesus performed the miracles as the other apostles were but he was called personally by the risen Jesus. Therefore, he could be called an apostle. Now, what I want us to do is to take with us what we have just learned, what we've learned about the good news and the importance of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, and also the importance of Paul being an apostle, an apostle for the gospel. And I want us uh, to come as we approach this letter to the Galatians, this is probably the earliest copy of one of those 13 letters that we have in our Bibles. And I want us to be drawn to the things we've just mentioned because these things are the central issues that Paul is dealing with in this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 of Galatians. And you want to, I want us to notice that the letter was written to the churches in Galatia, not to a particular city. It wasn't written to, uh, as, as the letter to Rome was and the letter to Corinth was and the letter to Ephesus. This is a district, the district of Galatia. And right at the start of the letter, Paul 
is having to establish his authority as an apostle. This is what we read in verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. These are the churches that Paul founded during his first missionary journey, and we can read all about that missionary journey in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 13 and through into chapter 14. And this is where Paul and Barnabas presented the importance of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus to the people in that area of Galatia. And they presented this message as the only means of salvation. Now, when they did this, they faced opposition from the Jews. But after passing through the towns in that area, on their return journey home, they revisited these places and they saw that many people, both Jew and Gentile, had believed the message that Paul and Barnabas had brought to them. And they'd believed in the saving work of Jesus. And because of that, churches had been established in Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. At that time, this is probably groups of Christians gathering together in those uh, towns and maybe in each other's houses. But they were established Christian churches in Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. Now when Paul and Barnabas returned home after their first missionary journey, they returned to the church in Antioch, Syria. Now that's not to be confused with Antioch in Galatia. In Galatia we have Pisidia, Antioch and then in Syria we have another place called Antioch. And in Acts 14, verse 27, Paul and Barnabas were able to report all that God had done through them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles here in Galatia. Now we move forward, probably some years. And when we do, we find that things have changed. And it's this change that prompted Paul to write this letter, this letter addressed to those churches in Galatia. Now you might have noticed in that first introduction that Paul dispenses with the usual pleasantries found in some of the other letters. As here, Paul cuts right to the heart of the matter. A little bit like a fighter coming out of his corner with all guns blazing, you know. Sorry about the mixed metaphor there, but I think you know what I mean. Because we have to realise not just what Paul was saying, but we have to realise how Paul was saying it. He's not saying, as you know, I am Paul the Apostle. He's saying, I'm going to make sure that you know that I am Paul the Apostle. This is because his authority as an apostle has been questioned. And worse than that, so has the authenticity of the gospel. 
Now, we know from Paul's missionary journey, as we've already mentioned, that there was great opposition from the Jews in this district. Now, some of those people had come into the churches, telling the Gentile and Jewish Christians that what Jesus had done was not enough to make them right with God, and that they had to secure their salvation by working for it. They were saying, look, you have to be obedient to Jewish traditions, one of which was to be circumcised. They were also saying that Paul wasn't really an apostle, and that what Paul had been teaching them, what he'd been telling them, well, you couldn't really trust that. Now, this problem that we are finding in the early church, not just here in Galatia, but in other areas, is the same problem that we face today. The circumstances might be different. But, you know, in the days in which we live, the, the authority of Jesus and the authenticity of the gospel is being challenged, sad to say, even within Christian circles. You know, the, the most persuasive forgery is the one that is closest to the truth. You know, people were saying, yes, Jesus lived, we know that, we believe that, and he died and he rose again. But to say that we need to add to that in order to secure our salvation is a distortion of the truth. It also renders Jesus' life and death as, and his resurrection as being insufficient. You know, John 14, verse 6, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This has not changed. Neither has this that we read in Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Nor has this changed. When Paul wrote in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So just from these few verses, we know that Jesus is the way. Salvation is found in no other name. And it is all by God's grace, with nothing added, other than a response from the believing and the penitent heart of a sinner. And nothing is to be taken away, other than the punishment that the sinner deserves. This is the good news. Now, Paul will continue in a very positive and forceful tone that is necessary to confirm the truth and to expose the error. He's saying, I, Paul, am an apostle. I was sent by God, not by men or by a man. And what you already have when you've put your trust and faith into what Jesus did when he died on the cross, this is what you need, and it's all you need, and it is from God. So he's saying to them, look, get hold of this truth. 
don't be tempted away from it. So we come to verse 3 and 4, and Paul, Paul's message to these churches is this. He's saying in verse 3 and 4, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So Paul's saying, look, you can't add to what God has done. He's saying you don't need to add to what God has done. And he goes on and says, look, it's even wrong to try and add to what God has already done. The grace and the peace that you have is from God. Brought to you by Jesus with no added cost. The full price has been paid and it was paid by Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah. He and he alone has rescued you. That's what Paul is saying to these Christians. And this is God's will that it should be done this way. You know, this is what Paul said in his letter to the church at Rome. He's had to deal with these similar problems as he's written to the churches. And here he's dealing in Rome's, in his letter to Rome, the issue of grace and works. It's a good subject for us to look at, but just for this morning, uh, just a verse from what Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And he says this, and this is sensible. He says, If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Now that is a logical argument in a few words. You know, if salvation is by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. In this context, I think this is what we call, uh, in a grammatical way, an oxymoron. That means a figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. Grace is something that is not merited, but which is freely given. If you have to work to receive it, then how can it be grace if you've earned it? And you know, the work that we do after salvation is what we do not to achieve salvation, but because of our salvation, not for our salvation. So we're going to go on in, in this letter. We're going to look at verse 4 again and then into verse 5. 4 is a link to verse 5. And Paul's motive for bringing the gospel is not for self-gratification. It seems that people within these churches in Galatia have accused Paul of taking the gospel and then from that, he's doing it for what he can get out of it. So, this is what apparently some people have been saying. Verse 4. This is speaking about Jesus. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, 
according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. So Paul's saying, it's all for God's glory and amen to that. And he's saying, it's not for my glory. Listen to what Paul said on the same issue to the church at Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through to 33. So whenever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, these things are not mine. That's what Paul is saying. They're neither your personal, for your personal gratification or for my personal gratification. They are done to the glory of God. And then in verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Greek, Jews, or the church of God. This is exactly what these legalistic Judaizers were doing in the Galatian churches. They were causing people to stumble, both Jew and Greek, and the church in general. Verse 33 of that passage in Corinthians, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So Paul's saying, look, I don't try, I, I do try to please everyone, but what I do is for the sake of the gospel and to the glory of God. He's trying to get all these facts over to these Christians in Galatia who are being confused by what other people are saying. And here in verse 6 to 7, we see that Paul feels that he needs to act quickly. He needs to nip it in the bud. Hence the urgency of this curt and pointed letter. And he says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, what we notice here is that Paul is astonished astonished that that is happening. He's possibly horrified and he's certainly disappointed. Secondly, he's, he's stricken by the fact that they are so quickly turning away from what they know to be true to something that is the opposite to the good news of Jesus. And thirdly, these people who are, are speaking to them are, are, are telling what Paul is saying, look, these people are telling you these things and they're throwing you into confusion as they deliberately distort and corrupt what is true and trustworthy. So within the letter, Paul is going to expose this false teaching. So let's just have a, a brief look at verse 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them, them, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You know, this is strong language from Paul. 
is pressing home the fact that it's the message that is important. And the most important thing of the gospel, the good news, is that the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus is the only means of salvation from God's wrath and from God's judgment for sin. Now these people who, and he's saying to the Galatians, look, these people are telling you that trusting in Jesus alone will not of itself save you and that you need to secure your salvation by obeying the temple rituals, carrying out all the rabbinical uh, liturgy and being circumcised. Now by saying this, they're presenting these people with what they are calling the good news, the gospel, which Paul is saying, look, this is no gospel at all. And Paul's saying that if anyone, no matter what their status is telling you, that you need more than that, if you need more than what God offers through Jesus, then let them be cursed by God. And Paul is even saying, even if an angel, or for that matter, even if I tell you these things, let us be cursed. In the next verse, Paul vindicates himself with these words. Verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, this reminds me again of Paul's words in that first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth this time it's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 when he said this to them but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles Paul preached Christ crucified as did Peter at Pentecost and when Christ was preached, the religious Jews saw the crucified Christ as being only a small part of their religious liturgy. And they couldn't get over that hurdle. The non-believing Gentiles saw the crucified Christ as being an insult to their intelligence. And they saw the good news as being foolish. Now with these thoughts as we finish this morning, again, from the words of Paul that we've already mentioned in Ephesians 2 verse 8, as he speaks about the truth of salvation, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So let's now consider the words of Jesus as recorded for us by John in his Gospel. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 5.24 Very truly I tell you, 
Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 6 verse 40 For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You notice in these words, these words of salvation. There's not a word about what we must do. There's nothing we can do to either earn or merit it. But what we can do and what we should do is repent of our sin and trust in the resurrected Jesus and put our faith in him. That's salvation. And then the work we do for God is because of that salvation, not to earn that salvation. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we've looked at this letter and we've seen the problem with the Christians in, in Galatia who were being tempted to turn away from the true gospel and being told that what Jesus did when he died on the cross wasn't sufficient to secure their salvation and that they must do more. Oh, Father, we know there are many in churches today who will still be being taught that. But our Father, for us here this morning, whether at home or in church, we just ask that you will let us see clearly it's by grace that we are saved and it's all by what Jesus did when he died on the cross. If we've accepted that, we bring our praise to you and ask that we will go away assured short of the fact that we are forgiven that we are sinners saved by grace if we've not done that by the power of your Holy Spirit open our eyes, open our hearts that we might come to you as true repentant sinners as we accept that free gift the free gift of salvation and we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Amen well, next time we're going to continue in the book of Galatians and see what else God has to say to us through these writings of Paul. We can all, we can all say, Amen to that.